Looking to generate more revenue and build relationships with gamers worldwide? Let Exola be your guide. Exola, a global video game commerce company, has helped thousands of game developers and publishers of all sizes fund, market, launch, and monetize their games globally and across multiple platforms. To learn more, please visit xsolla.pro slash A-O-I-A-A-S. Hey everyone, I'm Trent Custers from League of Geeks. Welcome back to the Game Makers Notebook. This is part two of my chat with Tan and Zach Adams of Bay 12 Games. If you haven't checked out part one, I'd suggest you go and do that now. Otherwise, enjoy. Welcome to the Game Makers Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Makers Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Um, okay, so we've re- we've released it. All this 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 crazy stuff is happening. We made eight hundred and seventy bucks. There's stuff coming in, in from all ways from the internet. Um, the the possibilities of your game are now being like you know you're you're seeing them in in the reflection of the community's plays and these incredible stories that they're coming together and writing. What was the kind of release schedule from there on and i guess what was the next big moment for the game that you can think of whether it be in regards to features or sort of like a a step ahead we've released a game in 2006 we've got the donation button up what sort of comes next if you like zoom out and look at the life of dual fortress i'm having a like i don't remember which came first but i think one of the biggest things that happened was when the game had its X or its Y, Z, Z coordinate. Z coordinate. The Z coordinate. So like Dwarf Fortress is just one strip yep. of a, like a, a two-dimensional square that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And then we we uh, gave it a Z coordinate so you can see one a slice above what's going on, a slice below what's going on. And you can press a button to go up and down and see the different slices. Like in the in the Steam version, you can actually look down and see like, all the way to the bottom of the mountain, Iran or whatever. Yeah, but okay. like, but in uh, because it's ASCII, you can't do that. Yeah, so you can only show one layer at a time. Only one layer at a time. But okay. you can do that with this new with this release, and that one uh, that was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, um, that was a big, big deal. Big, big, big deal. It and took, like, it took yeah, nine months. Right. I remember like we in uh, when we were making Drag Slay. I remember we had a a, a discussion about in Drag Slay allowing you to look it up and down, and we decided not to do it. Because of a uh, kind of a uh, what is it a mind puzzle or, or a puzzle that where you how do you shoot an arrow down from the top of a wall and then for some reason we got it into our mind that that was impossible to show in in, <laughs> yeah. in uh, just one slice at a time so yeah it. yeah because you'd have to in like in an ASCII game like in a in a three D game you can lean over right yeah. Yeah. straight down but you you know it's much harder to display in a text game so we kind of like. But then we got we came back around to it because we were forced to put this back in because when you're doing just one slice like dig dug or whatever, yeah. But you've got moats, you've got bridges over moats. You could have a magma moat with a steel bridge over it, but then someone could pour water on top of the bridge, and then there's water sitting on it. And you have to come up with all these special cases, just all this special mechanical logic to make one layer work. And yeah. we were just like, 
what if the water was actually sitting in memory above in a different layer so yeah, that everything okay. can make sense? And it just became so, so nice after that. However, uh, the thing with <laughs> one slice, see, in the original version, you get a nice cliff face. You dig into it, you hit a river. Then you yep. go further, you hit a chasm that goes down into nothingness, and there's bat people flying around and stuff. Then you go further, you hit a magma kind of river. And then you go further and there's a bunch of demons and you die. Uh, so that's kind of the structure. There's a very kind of ordered structure to, 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 right. these, uh, to these layers that you're talking about, or do you mean before the this layers? Is, this is before the layers. Yeah. So before this the is layers. just one layer that has these rivers. So let's just take, a, let's take a moment here to pause just for our listeners again, who may have just seen a screenshot of Dwarf Fortress or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you, The game is, are we looking at a bird's eye view? Like, yeah. yeah. And then, so before the layers, you're looking at the game bird's eye view, you're, you're top down, you're watching your dwarves move around in your fortress and you're sort of digging from left to right or left to right. Yeah. Left yeah, to right. Right, right is deep. You see a bunch of little happy faces and a bunch of kind of periods and commas for grass. And then there's yeah. just a bunch of like hash hashtags. That's just like, I am a wall. Yeah. And, and then you can dig into that and then you see more like hashtag type things. I mean, I'm saying hashtag is probably actually like an alt 178, which is a block, but yep. whatever. There's just <laughs> so people know that's like a solid thing. You see this yep. solid thing as you dig deeper. So as you, as you uncover one square, that becomes like a period that's a floor, but then you're surrounded by these block. You're looking things and then you dig again, you get another period yep. and that's surrounded by blocks. And so you're you looking s- down on y- this. You can yeah. kind of tell that this is the stories that are spreading and not the not the visuals that are spreading around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I just love like this when, cause I've done it before. Obviously I'm sure so many people have been through this process of like showing someone, one of their friends to war fortress. Like, I mean, just a screenshot as you're trying to explain it. And the moment they see the art, if they're not familiar with games and ASCII out there, just like, what the fuck? Like, is that, is that, is that the game? But it's so beautiful how expressive it is and those the stories that come out of it. Okay, so you add the layer. So we're going left to right. That's going deeper. But now you've added this, this other layer system where you can see behind and in front of that. Yeah, and the problem with that is that you lose this structure because there was kind of a built-in story structure of hitting the river, hitting the chasm, hitting the magma, which was limiting in a sense, but also gave a very tight experience that we could play with and had for years, yeah. like tight tightening up what that was like and the progression. Yeah. Like you could only make steel once you got to the magma and there was a kind of a a progression of materials then as well. Right, like a a crafting or tech tree. Yeah. Mechanics and things as you go. Yeah, and you can totally see it in games like Terraria that just did it that way, right? It's just, it's basically Terraria tilted on its side uh, (laughs) at this point. Great way to explain it. Right, you have to go over this river, but then when the 3D thing happened, I think Tarn as the mathematician can tell you that it's impossible to find a river in a three-dimensional cube because it's just a line. It's just a line. So if you're digging around and and to left to right, to forward and back, you'll never find this line that's going through. (laughs) But the original game, you automatically hit it. Yeah, yeah. if if you're just digging right, you're always going to hit a line that blocks blocks you. And now, so we we had to like, well, well, how are we going to replace the rivers and water underground? People were fishing and doing things with water. So we had to have these giant sprawling lakes, kind of like these undersea type things. Right, that you would hit, like tap into. You would always hit those. You would always hit those going down then. And the same thing happened with the magma and and the dry caverns. And it just, but it, but it loosened everything, like it just generally loosened everything up. And this is something that's been, you know, gotten to be, you know, a worse and worse problem for the last 14 years where, since that's been in there, where like we have these really large layers that we need, but it makes it harder to put in 
like little experiences, like you found like a temple that was buried underground or something like that. Yeah. Like you can do that, but it has to play nice with all the elevation slices and all the cuts and things. Yeah. Games like games like Minecraft and stuff have you know been attacking these problems um, and you know come up with solutions for them. And we're just kind of in a situation where our legacy code was just kind of older and harder to deal with. So that's a whole another thing is this big map rewrite we're still planning to do in a few years uh, to yeah. kind of readdress that stuff. And uh, yeah, it's just essentially another. Uh, Z coordinate size rewrite. It just never ends. <laughs> and so that was the big one. And Zach, when were you saying, do you think that was the, the, the Z coordinate thing? When did, what year? Uh, 2009, I'd say eight, nine. All oh, right. Yeah. So not too long afterwards. I mean, in this, I mean, in the span of <laughs> Dwarf Fortress's life. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you asked for, right? The first big thing. Yeah. Okay. And how, so you talk about it being looser in regards to, you know, the, the problem space and the design decision space that you're working within here, you know, that's obviously going to lead to this rewrite that you're talking about, but how was it for the players? Like how, how did it change their experience and how was it received amongst your community? I think it was, it was, it was mixed for that reason, right? That, that yeah. some people wanted the old oh, right. There was a back. big, there was a big schism in the, yeah. The Cause we had speed yeah. runners, but we had that, speed runners before. Oh, right. Could, wow. You know, but without this, without the Z coordinate, there was no way to flood your fortress and kill everyone that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 which is obviously we need. You got to have that. Yeah, and the thing is, and one of these things that's fairly rare in games that we put in once we had the Z coordinate mm -hmm. was like water that goes down a tube and then up the other side. We have water pressure. And uh, like a lot of games like like Noida, for instance, which has really amazing kind of fluid systems and so forth. It's just this yeah. arcade game that has like 100 different fluids or whatever. It doesn't, at least, you know, last I looked, doesn't have like a pressure. It won't go up the other side because right. that's just that's just more, you know, CPU cycles. It's a harder or kind of a harder problem, uh, especially with pixels. Like for us, we don't have pixels. We just have these larger tiles. So it's easier to do things like pressure. Of course, yeah. And that catches people off guard. It's great. You're like you can see, just people get get flooded because they don't expect when they when they oh I'm just going to pour the water down below. It can't possibly do anything down there, and it's like shoots right back up, floods the entire fortress. Right. That's that's one of the things that they say about dwarf fortresses is that water is more dangerous than lava. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, because of yeah. this because of this system and people's unexpected reactions from it. Amazing. Okay, so so we get into 2000 and 2009 or almost at 2010, but I mean we're still we're still a decade away from where we are here. So what's like let's just keep moving through these these steps of of development. What what sort of what came after that? Did you was there any particular influx of players from something? Did the game what's sort of increasing this game's notoriety? Were there any landmark moments other than just yeah. some of these stories being shared? I mean, I remember my first experience with the game or well yes experience with the game in the sense of hearing about it and like learning of the legend of dwarf fortress was this incredibly beautiful long image that someone had drawn like an illustration um about a, a dragon that they had awoken or something like that and it stepped through it in this incredible illustration and i was like what is this game and then i had that experience of like looking at it being like oh shit it's an ascii game okay <laughs> <laughs> what, like beyond this after the after the z the z depth um what was what was one of the next big moments for you as well? Well, I think yeah, I would say the world activation. Right? Yeah, that well, before one. that, so we'll get to that. That so yep. that's 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 2014, and that's that's definitely huge. But the funny thing about this, between 2009 and 2014, before the game is because that was a big big thing that made the simulation awesome. Before any of that happened, we you know we get the Museum of Modern Art in in 2011. 
like this early. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, tell, yeah. tell me about that. Like the call, did they come through your mom as well? Like is she your PR agent <laughs> at this point in time? How did well, you hear well, about it? How does Noma get in about, touch with someone? We have sleeper cells all over the country <laughs> of these tech these tech workers. Like the that, IT people. The IT people that love Dwarf Fortress. Yes, of and, course. And, and so the MoMA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the people that worked at the MoMA. And this, like this an is IT kind of person the, from the MoMA. Yeah, yeah. Was, was an advocate for us. And then the, the – uh, and this kind of was lined up with exactly the time when the New York Times Magazine published an article. Because there's this whole other like, like – um, uh, it's parallel story to this of like, when we are we getting picked up by mainstream press and yes, gaming correct. sites and yep. stuff. And, and this was when in, in like 2010 or 2011, we got picked up by the New York times magazine when Jonah Weiner came and stayed in, in town for like five days or something. It was four or five days or something, or maybe uh, three, four or five. It's hard to remember. It's happened so many times now, but <laughs> like, like they just, just wanted to write about this, the game. And uh, just came and like that, in situ, like lived with you for a bit and watched you guys work. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just did interviews and, and, and we hung out or whatever. I remember we went to the city, that kind of thing. Cause we were always living near Seattle and stuff, but yeah. like, like the, yeah, we did go to the city actually. And, and so that, that, put us on like also like New York radar it's like yeah. now we're now we're over on the East Coast and yeah, uh, this okay. is kind of and this is kind of like that that also influenced the decision because I, I guess they just got together in a coffee shop like like um, Jonah Weiner and uh, Paul Antonelli the 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 uh, curator design um, at the at the uh, at the museum uh-huh. and um, Paul Galloway handles all the their computer stuff and and also now does that kind of thing as well. And um, somebody else, it might have been the person who organizes two five six in Brooklyn, uh, who does a bunch. Of, you know, so this is like kind of these these people in that scene. Yeah, right? and now they're like, talking about Dwarf Fortress. Yeah, they're talking about Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> and, and and the thing they had to decide this was before any any. I mean, there were games and museums and like these limited yeah. stuff. But me, but Moma That's had what I was picked, thinking this is yeah, not just but, early for Dwarf Fortress. This is early for games in yeah, general. There were yeah. no games at Museum of yeah. Modern Art. They they picked fourteen. The fourteen games that went into Museum of Modern Art were all came out at the same. T- I mean, all were announced at the same time in twenty eleven. Mm-hmm. And it was there was like the Sims, Sim City, Eve Online. Oh, that's right. Like. And then the yeah. guys from Eve, uh, they actually invited us to Iceland, and I had never been out of the country before. <laughs> and it was all because of this MoMA thing. Yeah, we wow. were at MoMA. Did you guys like, like yeah, to go and yeah, visit yeah, yeah, we Reykjavik? Yeah. yeah, we went to Reykjavik and, and, and in like 2011 or 2012, and we were just, hey, we're MoMA, MoMA buddies. And they were also doing something like their big anniversary, like fest at that time. Great. And that was just that was just a great time going out there and meeting meeting people and stuff. And including like like one of their big concept artists was like, also did Dwarf Fortress like fan art for their oh, like, amazing. like the beasts the beasts in the game you know and had been yeah. doing it you know for like years previous and you know we met them that was uh, that was just, so cool it was, it was just all lumps together and all those games are, both of those games as well it's like you know you might not think of them at first to put them on the same sort of on the same sort of shelf or on that same track but like Eve tracks you know, in regards to its stories and its possibilities and its community driven aspect, it tracks so similarly to the War Fortress in those on those metrics. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, and yeah, I, no. I love the phrase as well. I love the phrase Tan, um, MoMA buddies. It's like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we met we met we met like um we haven't met like the people that made like the Sims Sim City and stuff, but I remember yeah. like Can- Cannibal was one of the game, like Adam Saltzman and stuff. We met we met up with uh, yeah, he was actually nice. also a MoMA buddy invited to this Eve thing. That's where we right. met. So it was oh, like a awesome. big, all the MoMA buddies were there. Yeah, I don't <laughs> remember, was that it? Were all 
three MoMA buddies or was there four? I don't remember. I don't remember all the MoMA buddies. <laughs> I just remember being interrogated at this panel with all the MoMA buddies, this Icelandic professor at, who, 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 like he went by a single name. His name was Goder or something, right? <laughs> like like was, Prince or Beyonce yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> he's just this big Santa looking dude comes up to me and is just like, what does this game tell you about the medieval mind? And I'm like, this is giant just, audience. Yeah, just giant audience. I blank, blanked so hard. Just the absolute worst. I love, I love, I think academic panels are one of my favorites. You know, you go up there to talk about your game and you can get a little heady about it, from time, but sometimes they just shoot so intellectual <laughs> that you're just like, that gap there is massive. Yeah. I know it's, like I, I, it's like, I see name of the rose. I mean, I can tell you about like, you know, like if Christian Slater is a monk or something, I can tell you about that. <laughs> yeah. Give me a, give me a launching. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. So, so the game gets accepted into MoMA. Like now you're, it's like, it's an understatement to say that like the mainstream has picked it up, you know, like you're culturally in like one of the cultural and, you know, like cultural centers of the world in New York, you've, you've been, you know enshrined in culture in the in the mainstream culture and and that sort of noted as a as a cultural you know seminal piece in the in the medium and you're still in the meantime you're still working on this game there's still features to come and everything so you zach's not even full-time yet we didn't even have enough money to like (laughs) to like zach was still working and it was that's great and here we are in the moma (laughs) (laughs) you gotta get time off work for your Reykjavik trip yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) that's literally yeah (laughs) Okay, and so then you were mentioning, Zach, there was something else that I think, Tan, you said MoMA came first. What was it that oh, the other yeah, big so, moment? Yeah, much like the Z, the Z coordinate, this-, this uh, Oh, the world activation. The right? world activation. Yeah. And that, the thing with that was that they're, like, we haven't even talked about the- Yeah, the, what does that or, mean again for our listeners? What's world activation in the realm of Dwarf Fortress? Right. So there's fortress mode, adventure mode, but the, there's a mode we haven't even talked about yet, which is legends mode. And it's the entire history of the world for hundreds of years that the game is sitting there generating before you even started Dwarf Fortress. And there's like thousands and thousands of of events like this dragon destroyed this village or this, this uh, dwarf slew this, this important goblin and and all their, and all their, uh, you know, lineage, like this begat him, begat him, begat him. Yep. 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 And it's like, but it all stopped as soon as uh, as soon as your fortress started and uh, the year oh. zero or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the world activation was all this stuff just continues on outside your fortress. And you're so existing you, in it as like, like you say, all of this stuff that you're not seeing is just still continuing on outside of your fortress. Yeah. But at this point, it actually can help your or it actually can visit your fortress uh-huh. because all of your dwarves are from these. Well, the maybe not the original seven, but the rest that come yep. are from these uh, are from these these uh, world is from the outside world, and so is the adventure right. and adventure mode is also in the outside world. Oh, like know. they're they're a character from this lineage. It's not just something that's spawned at the start of the game or something. Yeah, or spawned you have a when, choice. Yeah. yeah, and it and it's it's so and and there, there's like these interrelationships between the modes that we're also developing at this time, where you can like retire your adventurer. But now that the world is active, your retired adventurer can come and live in a fort that you play later. So they'll actually come there and be a citizen. But then you can retire your fort. And so all your dwarves are still alive. You don't even need to die anymore, right? Which is, yeah. you know, some people opt to keep, keep them alive <laughs> without going out. But then you can play adventure mode and come and like, 
talk to your retired adventurer that was a citizen of a fort you retired and just and you can ask them about the things in their life. They can tell you about the monsters that you killed back when you were playing. Wow. Um, and, and it's just all gets so tied up that way that we were, we were just exploring these kind of relationships around this time as well. So this is going to be, <laughs> this is, it's such a funny question to ask because I actually don't even know how you're going to answer a ton, but I, maybe you've, maybe you've been asked before. We're saying all these things, right? Like um, you can go into this fort and talk to your adventurer and they tell you about, you know, the things that you slayed when you were them. Um, but really, like, and we know that the game is ASCII. So I'm sure people, again, who haven't played the game or are just kind of loosely familiar with it, are, are, they've got an idea. They're able to run the simulation of what we're talking about in their head. But how are you actually, again, I guess in layman's terms for folks here, but the procedural generation that goes into this, like what's involved in like writing up this this text like if, when you say he's your explorer tells you about this thing i imagine tan obviously you're not sitting there writing out all this text yourself how how is this presented to the player how are you actually activating and presenting all of this information that this game has like zach you've spoken about so much of it isn't presented as well it's invisible but tan like let's just drill into that example you said of like going to your adventure yeah. talking to them what, what's involved in that how is that presented to the player how is that generated yeah. So if you're a, um, if you've, if you've, I mean, some, some additional people listening will understand roguelike games at least. And yes, that, that you have a little, you have a little at sign moving around and that's what it is in adventure mode. We did that as an, an homage there. You have the, you have the, the at sign that you are that moves around. And then there are all the other characters on this grid on a screen and you can walk up to one and one of them will be your old adventurer. Uh, so in this fortress, so you walk up to them and then I think you have to press like K and move the cursor this, over this them. This is what we had to change for the same version. <laughs> yeah, this all yeah, this right, will right, be mouse-driven. Uh, but you can press enter. It pops up a giant menu because there's so many things to talk about. And you can ask them something along the lines of like, tell me about your past or yeah. something like that. And you select that. And then what this what this does now is you have this character that's a that's a creature that has a... Um, we actually have this... this um, this structure called the soul that lives inside the creatures. And we actually made it into an array in case we do possessions later. So that multiple <laughs> souls, so that's future proofing for you. We what haven't used it moment? yet, but it's, it's been there for <laughs> decades. There. We haven't yeah. used it. It's ready to go. And so, so it actually will query the active soul, whatever soul is yeah. currently controlling this body <laughs> and then go into their personality, into their memories, look through the, um, the events, it stores a bunch of ID numbers to store the events that they have seen. Now, the events are from like way back in, in world generation. We need these. It's just mm -hmm. a simple structure that says what happened. It's just yeah. a type, a type with some ID numbers and just says in the year, whatever, this killed this, for instance. It's very mm -hmm. lightweight, right? Incredibly lightweight. Yeah. And there's just a million of them sitting around. But in this, in this adventurer's head, it's everything that you do. And we don't have to worry about this like taking too much memory or anything because the player can only do so much. Yep, in their lifetime. Of course. And so so there's just a few events sitting up there, a few important events. And so when you ask them about their past, they can query the list of events in their head. They can they can even sort them by importance, mm -hmm. uh, however that's rated. And then what you do, then you've pulled an event and we that but that is just a little a little structure with these ID numbers or whatever. And now we need to turn that into text. Yes. So so we have, you know, hundreds of or maybe something like a hundred something types of events and Every single one has just like a string creator and the string creator takes a context so that it can, 
It can shorten names that are like the person talking will just refer to themselves as I or right. whatever. Yeah, okay. This is another problem with localization. Yes, it's there is no very, localization. Very difficult. For the <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. If you plan it in advance, I mean, we had a chance, but that that yeah. chance. Uh, well, now now with money, the chance returns, right? I mean, it's possible <laughs> to think about it anyway. Yeah. To think about it. But uh, yeah, so you can kind of rebuild these sentences, and then you can display the sentence on the screen and. Uh, I'm not going to be voice acted anytime soon. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, unless we have the yeah, we can do text to speech and it would just yeah, like, maybe that's ah, it. Text to speech dragon. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it's much it's much better than what I'm used to, isn't it? Now, yeah, you know, totally. We could just yeah, we could just use anybody's voice and get sued. So the okay, so now let's talk about the the world activation again. I did. Had you been teasing this with the community? I mean, like talking about your interaction with the community now. Or what year was it? World activation, first of all. 2014. 2014. Okay. So now we're what, like 12 years into development. When we talk about community now around Bay 12 and Dwarf Fortress, you've got the donate button up. What are we talking about in regards to um, the size of the community in re- like active folks? Because obviously there's chatter going on around the internet, but people that are there for every release talking to you on your forums, we've gone from 50 to 200. Where are we sort of at now? Yeah, we're at a few thousand active accounts, like yep. like maybe three or four thousand as the years march on a little bit that yep. have logged in at least once a week. Yeah, right. uh, okay, gotcha. And so there's always a churn of like three hundred active people, something like that. Yep. Um, that so are, now yeah. my next question is like, how active are you with that community in regards to? Are you two just kind of like? in the zone, coding away, creating this thing and like, oh, there might be something coming and then you drop it on them? Or are you actually talking to them and very open about your development as it's going along? I absolutely have to engage with the community because we're begging for money. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're also we're also making sure that, uh, you know, that the that everyone's happy and that there's yeah, no okay. abuse going on yep. and so we're moderating we both are full-time moderating it and right and so now it's gone from it. just having like a few people tagging along saying hey can i maybe throw you some birthday money to you're actively moderating and managing this community engaging with it and tan you just said you're, you're begging for money so let's talk uh, talk about that situation because i know it's actually it plays a part in like dwarf you know, fortresses and Bay 12 story. And eventually, you know, I'm getting together with Tanya and Kitbox and the steam thing. Right. So what's your sort of living situation at the moment? And, you know, this, like, are you, it sounds like you're now actively talking to the community about donating as opposed to just, Hey, we have a button. Um, where are you at in that regards? Yeah. In 2014, it would be yeah. just in the, in the midst of it. So I quit my job in, in 2007, uh, no, sorry, 2006, but they let me stay on till 2007. That was very nice of Texas A&M <laughs> University. Thank you very much for the extra year. Uh, and then I moved back up to Washington where, where Zach was at in an apartment I lived in for maybe 13 yep. years after that. And uh, until just recently, until like 2020 or something. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I did a pandemic move, I remember that in 2020. Yeah. So, so yeah, 13, 13 years so used in the apartment up there. And just just um, that's the situation I'm living in in Silverdale, Washington. Yeah. And which is west of Seattle, and uh, the the um, just I mean that that was basically uh, yeah. unchanging. <laughs> and, and how much sort of because I know you you've been quite transparent about how much you're making every month on the game, right? Like you were actually publishing your donations as well to the community. Am I right in saying that? How how many was that from like day one when you started getting donations, or did that come a little bit later? 
Uh, I think it was day one. Uh, yeah, if it right. wasn't, it was a few months later. I mean, yeah, we, okay. we just decided that that a way because the number was eight hundred, and eight hundred is is pretty good, and you want it to be a little bit bigger. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you say you're you're like okay, so I will just let people know exactly what's coming in. This is going to yep. be like fluctuating, yep. and we want the downward fluctuations to be something that people can see. Yes. Uh, yeah, we did a, we did a bunch of other stuff too to to. Uh, to drum up the donations. Like we were giving out uh, like crayon drawings for the longest time. Crayon uh, drawings. Like crayon yeah. drawings of, uh, of yeah. happening if people to donate workers. It, if yes. people, anybody, and there's no amount associated to it because we didn't want to deal with sales tax stuff or anything. So anybody, they could even ask for them. I mean, yeah. it, that rarely happened, but you, you, you could get, Zach drew 1,500 of these maybe. And he also, the, like the, the one that was even more popular was we would, we would, uh, so way back. So it was, this was a strange thing that happened. Like, the first time I got my PayPal donation, it like it sends you an email to your inbox that says like you have gotten, you know, a, a it's not a donation, but it, it just says you've received money. Right. Mm-hmm. And and then you just have that sitting there and it gives you the person's email. Right. And so the first time it was that birthday person. So I probably just wrote back and said, hey, thanks. You know, it yeah. got over here. You know, the, yeah. the button works. Yeah. But then when you release the game and suddenly you've got like, you know, 50 or 60 of these sitting in your your inbox and in, yeah. in just my Gmail or whatever. And. I was like, well, I need to reply to every single one of these and say, (laughs) thank you. But then I got bored, just bored out of my mind just because I doing that. And I didn't want to copy paste a form letter, although I eventually ended up doing something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and, and I didn't want to set up an auto reply. So what I started doing, just weirdest thing is just I put a little, a few ASCII characters and and then I just said like, the dwarf is being attacked by a crocodile. And just like these, (laughs) these silly little messages. And then we formalized that very quickly into a thing called an ASCII art reward, which was, um, and then we eventually called them story rewards as well, mm-hmm. which was Zach, who's a better writer than I am, would write an actual like paragraph story that, yeah. that is also illustrated up at the top with a few ASCII characters. And uh, Zach made more than 3,000 of those, I think. Amazing. Um, so we, I, would, yeah. I would hope that the... Well, forget about the game in MoMA. Are the crayon drawings in MoMA as well, Zach? <laughs> No, they're, they're surprisingly, it's kind of hard to find them anymore. Yeah, they? right. They did make it into the, the magazine article, though. The yes, New magazine yes, article. Yes. Oh, they did, right. You know, yeah. in 500 years, it'll be like uh, an original Zach Adams crayon drawing was found in an attic in, like, somewhere in Delaware. Well, they're probably worth, you know, you know, they'll be worth more when we're dead, but they're probably <laughs> yeah, worth more the now. Classic, than, uh, yeah, the classic right, artist the- issue. I'm I'm never going to do another one, so <laughs> yeah, probably worth more. It's a now, limited yeah. number, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, they're number. all signed too. Yeah. <laughs> so, how much around this time? How much are you making in donations a month? And Zach, when like, is this? Are we getting close to the point where you're now on it full time as well in 2014? Uh, yeah, yeah. This was. I think you went full time in 2013. Is that 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 strikes me as like the correct? I remember. Now, well, I met my wife in 2013. So I think uh, I remember I was having trouble telling her what we were doing. <laughs> like, I was just uh, thinking that. Uh, I mean, like, even if, for example, my business partner Blake um, is just like loves his war games. You know, like miniatures and things like that. And but doesn't look like your typical guy that's interested in like if we're going to stereotype in like painting miniatures and things like that. So when he met his his who the woman who would become his wife, um, 
there was definitely a moment where he had to tell her about how much he was into miniatures. So I imagine telling someone, trying to explain to your new partner about Dwarf Fortress is a whole other level than that. Than that. Yeah, yeah. Actually, she Googled me. She knew. She, she Googled me. Yeah. We are in the age of Google at that point, sure. But yeah, like I said, she only played The Sims. She barely, did rarely, barely, eh, rarely played, uh, played video games. So was, no. Which is good. You just have different interests or whatnot. But I had trouble telling her about the about how we because uh, we were like half donate. I was half living off donations and half not donations contributions. Yeah, contributions, yes. Half living off contributions and half living off uh, working at the Circle K. Yeah. So okay, yeah. yeah. I went back and looked in 2014 at, at like so so for five months here. This is what it looks like. Uh, May 2014, we made 3,700 dollars. June forty nine hundred dollars, July fifteen thousand dollars, August six thousand dollars, September forty five hundred dollars. So, was July like, was July just a, all that fifteen thousand dollars? Was that like a summer? People just that, sitting that, indoors that, in the air conditioning. Probably, summer, or was probably a big uh, no. Twenty fourteen is probably the world activation release. Actually, oh, right, of course. And yes, so, so, so there's just like boom, just big spike, and then back yep. down, back down to you know. So, so maybe we we're making forty thousand a year split between the two of us. Yeah. And, so it's still, uh, it's still like you're on the game, but it's still like meager living. And I think Zach, you were saying too, that you're like splitting it between your, your other job and you know, what's coming in from contributions as well. Yeah. So when did, I don't remember when I quit anymore. Yeah. 2013 was my guess. Like right at that time where we're like, we're like, it's $20,000 for each of us, but Zach doesn't want to work the circle K anymore. Come to think of it, I think it was before it was, it was right before I met my wife. So it was, yeah, we met in uh, November. So I think it was that year before yeah. then sometime. All right, let's, let's move things forward. Then you're both now working on the game. You've had world activation. It's like this. Now this, this le- legends mode is like, you know, now spilling into the, the, the rest of the game. It's going on as people are playing. What's the, we're, we're getting closer. What's the, what's the next big step? Yeah. So an interesting thing we should probably mention around this point in 2014 is we had that Eve Fest, right? Where we in 2011, yes, yeah. where we, the we, met, we met. Yeah, we <laughs> met the MoMA buddies, but we didn't know any other game developers. We didn't know anybody. No, no one at all. We don't go to events. Didn't go to. Yeah. Never been to PAX. Uh, nothing. We thought that we actually thought that game developers stole ideas from each other and were just cutthroat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you were like, stay away. Yeah, yeah. Really we only heard because you only hear the bad stories, right? And, and yeah. they, they do. They do exist. And so, but it was around this time, 2013, 2014, that we met uh, Kepa Y from Rocket Cat Games. Yes, Kepa. Canada. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. So that was, that was cool because he lived like 10 miles away from us. Oh, right. Great. Yeah. And then, and then through, through Kepa, we went to PAX and the, uh, we had a PAX panel on procedural generation. And mm-hmm. uh, on that panel, I think there was like Ryan Clark and maybe Zach Aikman was there and Tanya was moderating. So that's where this is when you met Tanya. This is when we met Tanya as well, right at this time, and also met um, at the uh, the indie booth or the mega booth. That's what they call the indie mega booth, where there's like fifty or sixty, you know, um, stalls at PAX. Uh, Everybody knew who we were. (laughs) <laughs> and we had we had no idea. We had no idea about this. No idea at all. Wow. And they were just like, "Ah, oh, wow! It's like it's you know, Tarn and Zach, Megador Fortress." And uh, that was just um, complete shock. Absolute one hundred. Yeah, that must shock. be that must be absolutely surreal. Because now, just to give folks, some, I think 
probably the majority of folks here who are listening, much like they know what Dwarf Fortress is, they'll know what the Mega Booth is. But for those who don't, the Indie Mega Booth um, was something that existed for a number of years. So oh, maybe like a, oh, I want to say almost like eight years or more. Um, but basically at PAX, um, a bunch of folks would come together and they would buy a huge amount of space and then they would actually just sell that off to indies so that indies could get some premium space at PAX and they could come together and, you know, pull their resources. And the folks at the top who were like running it at the time, uh, Callie Wallach, Chris Floyd, some others, they would um, make sure that there were deals with sponsors. So, you know, Alienware would supply the computers and everything. And, but it was, it was curated as well. So you would submit to be a part of the Meggy, uh, the, the Meggy booth, the Indie <laughs> Mega booth. And um, that was, and it was hugely uh, beneficial to, it was kind of like a rite of passage to indies who were looking to commercialize at the time or get their, get their games in front of more eyeballs. I mean, we did, our first mega booth was PAX West in 2013 or something like that. Um, and you know, I think you two as well, you know, it was, would have been around the similar time that you, you jumped into the, into the mega booth. But the interesting thing is that there is like, a lot of independent game developers who you're meeting for the first time, but folks that at the time were quite um, notoriable, like online, like for example, you know, the Vlambeer crew or whoever it may be, the Super Meat Boy crew, stuff like that. And so I can imagine to walk onto <laughs> this, into this huge area of the show and there'd be a hundred independent game developers and they all know who you are. must've been an incredibly surreal experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially because we'd heard of a lot of those games too, right? Yeah. Like you're saying, and uh, yeah, that was just that was just a whole kind of paradigm shift for our heads there. Look, these are you know we could well just now you've got this friends with these people. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. It's actually it's kind of funny because we went to PAX, but it's like when you talk about like commercializing Dwarf Workers, we were mainly there to like help out with other people's. Yeah, booths. yeah, we volunteered. <laughs> we were volunteering at the Death Road booth. We volunteered right. for four did you days, topped ourselves. A- just, just we couldn't even speak. We that's we actually a great question. Yeah, did yeah. you did you show the game? Even or did, were you exhibiting your game or just hanging out? We we never showed Dwarf Fortress until the, <laughs> okay, the, the, the Steam stuff right, until the okay. Steam stuff, and we never submitted to like IGF or anything like right, that. We're yeah. just still we we're still like this was up until this moment we had considered ourselves completely separate from indie yeah. games. Like you do you do get into packs free when you do that though. Yes, exactly. You get the, <laughs> the exhibitor pass, which yeah. also lets you stay on the floor for the for the parties after you set up and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was great. It was a great experience, and we we tried to yeah we 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 went to packs a number of times after that as like speakers and stuff. Yeah, especially it's right in your backyard as well. It's, so, yeah. it's such a great and it is it is and it still is to this day. It's not even like there was like a a, a golden days where that was that was happening. It was a real hub for community. Even, you know, I was just at PAX recently and it's just filled with developers who are like helping each other out. And, you know, that community, you make such fast friends when you're there, you know, sort of in the trenches of that show together. Do you remember what games you volunteered on the booths for? Oh, we were, we were there for Death Road with Keppa, and we, we literally were sitting there hawking the game and kept like like amping up the number of like, oh, there was like 2,000 different interactions with the items because we completely forgot or whatever and just, uh, but we sold it. We sold it. The game did all right. Uh, awesome. We're doing, doing our part. Hell Yeah. Okay, so so where, where are we at now? So you've you mentioned you this is the first time that you've sort of now become part of a part of a community um, around this same time that the world activation stuff has come out through meeting Kepper and um, and just for our listeners too, um, the Tanya that um, Tan mentioned before is uh, Tanya X Short of Kid Fox Games, so one of the co-founders there, and she is the 
Kitfox is a studio that helped you get onto Steam, so which we're still a fair way away from. But when did you first start talking to Tanya or did she approach you or anything about Steam? And you said something interesting before, Tan, which is like, you you wouldn't have done Steam if it wasn't for a couple of particular reasons, you know, like health insurance, for example. So how does that conversation even come about? And at what what year did that conversation start happening after meeting Tanya? Well, for one thing, that people had been try- had been telling us to join Steam for years and years yeah, okay, and years, yeah. and yeah, so uh, yeah. I mean, it is these people though that we had not met before, right? right. So it's really just starting at this time because I, I started going to GDC um, in yeah. like twenty. 2016, maybe there's that thing we did in, in Korea as part of this too. I mean, we um, met a bunch of people there, and uh, I remember uh, at GDC, like like Charlie Cleveland was really asking me to, uh, <laughs> to get it on Steam, and just sat me. He took me aside and just put me in a corner in a room, and was just like, you know, you really got to put this this game on Steam. That's the you know they 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 make uh, Subnautica uh, and yep, uh, yep. unknown and, worlds, and <laughs> yeah, unknown worlds. That's right, and and. And I was like, I was just absolutely not having it, right? Yeah. But you know, you you it definitely planted like this path forward. If we if we were going to get into money trouble, like yeah. like that that a lot of people said, like you know, you're you're going to be able to make it on Steam if you just give the game a facelift. Yeah, uh, it's going to do well. Yeah. So and we couldn't t- do that on our, by ourselves either. Yeah, of course, right? So tell me, when you say you were like just so against it at that point in time, I, I'm I- interested to hear in why because, and I just I'll do a little parallel with us, right? Like we're we're making a game at the moment. We're making two games, right? One's Jump Light Odyssey. It's at Space Colony Sim, and then the other one is Solim Infernum, which is a we played real- the original. I was going to talk to you about that. Yeah, amazing. yeah, because because yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, such I got a- that on my wish list already. <laughs> yeah, yes, gotcha. You better too as yeah. well, Tom. Um, <laughs> Because I got Dwarf Fortress in my library, so it's there. I'm going to buy it. (laughs) Well, so Solim Infernum for the for the listeners is just for the context of the podcast is um, it's a reimagining of a game that came out in 2009, and there are so many similarities to your story with uh, Vic Davis, the original creator. He's based in Athens, Ohio, and came at games not through the community or anything like that. Like he was making Civil War um, virtual tours on like. DVD ROMs or CD ROMs essentially and with Macromedia Director was like, oh, I'm going to make a strategy game made Armageddon Empires and then ended up making Solim Infernum basically with a software program designed to create DVD menus. And <laughs> everyone was telling him the same thing, like you've got to get this game onto Steam. But for Vic in talking to him through his business earlier, like the Civil War, you know, um, virtual tours that they were they're selling the CDs and stuff like that. Amazon had become like a bit of a, like was, had become this middleman and had like cut out the whole book industry and everything. So Vic viewed, you know, Steam as a potential middleman, right? And it's, and we've had chats with him. We've recorded a, like a similar podcast thing where it's interesting, like looking at people's, as Steam is building up its, you know, its, its potential to make money for folks and it's growing a market share. I think a lot of folks viewed it as that way is like, is Steam the big, the big middleman come here to take a cart, like, and we do it independently. But there are also tech concerns as well um, for Vic in regards to just getting the game onto Steam. Like you said, with the ASCII thing, like he just couldn't get it onto Steam on his own. What were the concerns for you with Steam? Was it was it just like a reticence to even open up that can of worms or was it a similar concern in regards to someone coming along and taking a share of your cash or? 
Well, to tell you the truth, at least for me anyway, it was like for the longest time I thought Steam, like right before I thought Steam was just kind of a monopoly that yeah. shouldn't exist. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really exactly what Vic had told. Yeah, like, it's, it's, I it's don't a complicated, speak for him, but a similar yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's such a complicated relationship with 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 Steam because we, I mean, they're they're around here, right? We we actually uh, it was <laughs> we've been there twice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 we've been there a couple times, and actually, when when we say we hadn't met developers, like when was that Steam tour? That was that early was, on. That was, that was before early, we yeah. met anybody. Like, oh, so had they reached out to you? Yeah, just reached out to us to go tour the place, you know, and it was 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 you know interesting. We you know go check out you go check out what seems like our valve or whatever and and uh like uh, so so we're like over there and we see them you know as as people running this 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 company and stuff and not as like this faceless thing or whatever and that kind of softened that up a bit also we just got softened up on the idea of having a steam library ourselves because we i i never i hadn't gone on steam until yeah, way this is, later this is just drm what, what yeah. the hell do we need this for <laughs> yeah of course but, but the thing is i mean the the people are there and then there's this whole i mean there's so many parallel stories here right that we yeah. haven't gotten yeah. to like another parallel story way up here is uh, all of the dwarf legs, the dwarf like games, um, right. Memoria, Prison Architect, Rimworld, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. They're on Steam with you know millions of players. Yeah, and so in near the end, when we're considering you know going on Steam, a huge consideration is that there the people are there. Yes. Uh, like yeah. the game is going to be it's successful. It's a proven market already for your game. Like there yeah. are games that literally were probably inspired by Dwarf Fortress on there making all of this money with the millions of players. It's proven already. Yeah, it was it was just a no-brainer at that like like by by the time we got to that point like 2018 is when we signed the contract. Yeah. Um it was a no-brainer. You just had to it was going to be Steam and we we put itch in there as kind of a <laughs> like we still believe, you know, hopefully yeah, that yeah. some some market, you know, some storefront's gonna, you know, be be out there fighting the good fight. Yeah. And, so uh, now yeah. I I absolutely love Tanya. She's super impressive woman. So I'm not surprised that everyone else is telling you to get onto Steam, and she's the one, she's the one that manages <laughs> to like convince you. But how? Tell me how that came about. Like, were you convinced, and you went to Tanya, or did she come to you, or how did the relationship with Bay Twelve and Kit Fox come about? So after we met at that panel, we kept talking. And in fact, uh, we wrote two books together um, in, in between. Oh, right. The Procedural Generations. Procedural right? Generations. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were I editors. Know that you wrote those together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were both uh, we're co-editors. And yep. uh, I would just kind of go through and do the tech the tech stuff. And Tanya knew everybody. Um, and I'm, it, it was not a stark, I mean, stark division like that um yep. like she did she did a bunch of review on the articles as well and i also reached out to some people but that was kind of the vibe of the the editing relationship but i still i remember the 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 conversation we had we were at our, our favorite restaurant in seattle and tanya mentioned the fact that she would she would do this for us or and mm-hmm. uh and i think tarn i mean i had i was i had finally was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I have to get yeah, part of this by this time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, it, we we were we were brought around because the, yep. the health stuff was right right here. <laughs> oh, right. right. This is, okay. Yep. Yeah. So there yeah, are health concerns a, going on in the background where your your donations and your lack of health insurance is and, not going to assist. Yeah. And so many things together too, because like our at this time also sometime back in like I think it was 2015, we also got the Patreon. 
And that changed the dynamic of our crowdfunding a great deal because we had some subscription based crowdfunding on PayPal, but not a lot. Uh, And we were still getting the majority at that point from just one time uh, contributions. But then Patreon, Patreon is a subscription based model. Mm. And that when we when we uh, when we signed up for that we immediately shot up and like doubled our income or something because yeah. so many people were waiting for an easy orange button to press, yeah. not the big sign up sheet that PayPal had and stuff. Yeah, okay. And, and so then also it's, just, it's consistent, I imagine, too. You're not yeah, waiting it's on just, people to come back and repeat donate when there's a release or new yeah. players. And yeah, we went we went down and visited their offices in San Francisco when it was very small. I mean, it's was, it was funny because we, we went and visited the offices that again in like 2018. Mm-hmm. It was for, for a... Uh, for an interview we were actually doing with Noclip, uh, that the, the yeah, cat video yeah. that Danny did. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Danny was actually just, yeah, Danny was here last week, actually. Uh, or, no, not last week, yesterday. yesterday. Danny was here yesterday. <laughs> Danny is leaving today. Yeah, no, no, yeah, 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 no, they, yeah, they just, this, 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 yeah, he just, you know, spent three days recording here. Awesome. And uh, the, the uh, um, Patreon, though, that's a complicated relationship because when we went to visit, with, with Danny to record just in that, in the place we happen to be recording their offices, you know, it had grown to such a gigantic business by that point that we weren't mm-hmm. even known to them. We were no longer like, we got the VIP treatment originally because we were one of yeah. the biggest, the biggest, you know, things up there uh, back in 2015. And then now we're nobody yeah. and, and uh, which is fine. But the problem is, is that they, you know, they've made, a series of kind of questionable decisions, uh, you know, as it relates to like teasing, you know, NFT stuff and all that kind of thing, just yeah, a million, a million decisions about cutting, trying to get rid of their $1 donors and yep. all this stuff that would cause these problems. And I don't remember which one it was, but it was during one of these times also this dinner with Tanya. So we had, oh, right. so you're kind yeah, of, like, there's that frustration yeah, going on in the background. Yeah, there's and then, that. And yeah, you know, you're, you're like, this is, this is like Jared Kushner's brother is the VC on that thing and stuff. And you're like, and that's becoming a bit of a minefield, right? And that stuff, it's like, yeah, that was, this was like, you know, Trump, Trump is president now. Kushner's yeah. in what there. Year, and what year are all we this talking stuff, about? All together. This is like 2017 uh, yeah, yeah, okay. and 2018, somewhere in there. So <laughs> we're just in the midst of all this crap. And we're like, Patreon is like literally going to vanish overnight sometime or something is what we were thinking yeah. at the time. But okay. of course they're still, they're still here. But yep. uh, it, it was one of these things where we were just like, okay, we need to parachute. We need to get out of here. Um, the, this health bill, I wouldn't, if I had the health bill, he had like his, his wife's insurance covered it. Yep. Like I'd be screwed. I'd just be gone. And so, uh, yeah, we we're like, okay, we we're finally, this is what it took <laughs> to finally yeah. prepare us to, to consider steam. Yeah. To dock into the, to the mothership, the valve mothership. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. And so that's 2017. Um, the game released, correct me if I'm wrong, is last year, right? Yeah, December. Yeah, December last year, right? So we've got now in, in, in true Bay 12 games fashion, it's like five years from <laughs> one point to, to the next. Um, tell me a little bit about that working relationship in the early days. How do you even go about, I mean, like, God bless Tanya for even taking yeah. on the project, you know? Like, how do you go about, and there, there's two things that I'm really interested in here is like, how do you structure a business deal where you're helping someone like you know folks like yourselves in a situation we've done a similar thing we early on um 
the Goose Game crew, House House, right? Like we co-developed their first game and they were just kicking off. It was like the first game they ever made or something or the second, I think, that Nico had made. And they were like, help PlayStation want our game and we're in this thing, what do we do? And so, you know, we helped them get funding and everything. It was a bit of a co-development thing and then they went off and obviously did amazing things. And so Tanya, working with yourselves in a similar situation, first of all, what I'm interested in is how do you structure a business deal like that where someone comes along you know, what's it now, almost 15 years or 15 years into the process and is going to take you on onto Steam? How? Because there's, I mean, you've known Tanya for a long time. You've had a working relationship. Sounds like a perfect perfect coupling there. But how does that, how does that unfold? How does that come up? Yeah, no, I mean, you've got to set up the, the contract in case, you know, for the bad days, right? So it's yeah. like, how, yeah, so we, we just drew up this uh, contract in roughly November uh, 2018 uh, and uh, just decided, okay, so what we don't want to do at Bay 12 Games here, the two of us, is hire anybody or think about anything, <laughs> uh, learn learn any kind of employment law or yeah. handle any extra tax burdens or, or anything. We don't yeah. we don't understand that stuff. We we could learn it and kind of I mean our 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 leverage coming in is we've got this gigantic game that is going yep. to do very well on Steam. Of course, and right. yeah. if it if it gets a facelift. And also that, you know, if, if the, if the deal is driven too hard, we will do this stuff ourselves. We'll figure yeah. it out. And, yeah. and so, um, we, but it was all amicable, of course, this, this yeah, talk. Of course. It's and almost so, like a perfect coupling because Tanya has yeah. all of that experience that you're talking yeah. about as well. So she has yeah. leverage in that regard too. And she has, yeah. and she has, uh, also another thing we were looking for is kind of the, not just the ability to get like our contractors or, or whatever we're going to get of the money. Right. Yeah. Like we can't pay these yeah, people. Yeah. We can't, we can't pay for it. We can't pay for anything. Yeah. So and, there's an upfront investment that's happening yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then also, uh, Tanya, uh, had, uh, uh Victoria Tran at the time, uh, mm-hmm. who, uh, just community management, like community director, communications director that we would be able to reach out to press yeah. people, reach out to more yeah, people think, that we can talk to. The thing they did moderation stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think they did. I think they did that was also really smart. Was they uh, the people that worked on the game had they reached out to the community, the the Dwarf Fortress community, very cool, and hired out of hired the the uh, the artists and and people out from our fans, so they understood <laughs> what was going on, and they were really self motivated too because of that. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no no on, onboarding for some of these people. Uh, they yeah. they knew certain things about the game better than we did because they'd been modding for you know ten years <laughs> or whatever. That's like, I think I, I remember there's a hearing some urban legend about George R.R. R. Martin has a guy that he calls if he ever forgets what's going on in the world of his books. He's like, where's this character at this point in time? And some dude in like the Scandinavia somewhere is like tells him. Yeah, we've got the wiki. We, we, we refer. <laughs> yeah, the we don't wiki. Know, we, there's many times that I've forgotten how to play my own game. Yeah. I um, Just a funny anecdote like that. Recently we had to do like, you know, we're announcing the game, these games or I had to do an Armello steam update or announcement i'm like oh god how do i it's been ages since i've done a, a steam announcement because we've got folks who do that now and i went to do it and i'm like oh i've got to bring up the documentation i went to the documentation and the example images and like the best case use is armello it's like our <laughs> game <laughs> oh that's, that's, that's embarrassing okay um <laughs> Okay, so you've you've got the contract in place. You've got this beautifully amicable relationship. It's, it seems like a perfect pairing. You've got folks from the community, but now talk to me about like technically, how do you even begin this? And you're obviously developing Dwarf Fortress alongside this. So now you've got one game, one version that's being brought up on one side, whilst you're and they're trying to 
catch up to you and like however many years of development and bring it along forward whilst you're continuing to in your wild ways you know continue to develop the wolf fortress how how do you even embark on a technical and lo- logistical project like that and keeping in mind that we also signed a three-year contract. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Even that's like a long, a long time yeah. already. It's a long time, and we didn't make it by two years. We missed it, but uh, more than more than no, 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 four years. It took us four and a four and a month. So uh, yeah, so we have we had. And the problem also is that we have the existing community, and they have to come along for the ride. We hadn't announced this to them at all. Yeah. And um, that announcement came a few months later. And the agreement with the community was that there's always going to be a free version, which is, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. I mean, that's not usual when, when yeah, this type right. of thing happens. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we're going to have a free version that's completely compatible and uh, feature, like you can move saves between them. The, the features are in line. Not wow, just, I didn't know not that. Just, I didn't know about this. Not just on that's release. Yeah, yeah, not just on release, but up into the future too. We're always going to be releasing them simultaneously when we mm-hmm. can. We screwed that up right in the beginning. But uh, now, now they're simultaneous. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, our release date was just, we had to release the game. Uh, as it is yeah <laughs> yeah but 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 um the the uh, uh yeah so we had to, that that whole thing to deal with which was super stressful uh, i remember not sleeping like for two weeks before we made that announcement um but of course they were just like yeah cool you know you, you, you explain <laughs> things well you just have to explain things well we explained why we were doing it because we hadn't done it up to this point for the reasons yeah. we were talking about and so we just i mean when you want to communicate with people you just yeah. do it just say exactly what happened and why and yeah never you, you just explain it clearly one time and you're just not gonna have to really take questions yeah uh, it's, it's, and it's, also they're along they're not just there for your game they've been along for the ride there's you know when you explain the impact that it's going to have on you and your lives and then the ability for dwarf fortress to continue on into the future too it's i can't imagine how you would not be behind that as a as a community member yeah, you do get you. You still worry though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no doubt. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but but technically, yeah. Then then we're like, okay, we made this announcement. Everyone's cool, and we have a few problems. One problem is that we we are dead in the middle of the villains release uh, work that was going right. to take you know a year and a half or something, mm-hmm. and we want to get it up, finish it instead yeah. of having all these promises dangling. And so it's funny, we signed this three-year contract and then for another year, we work on just the villains and the ASCII release and get that out. So <laughs> we're then in 2019 or whatever and haven't touched the Steam version yet. Now, That's what 20- I was going to ask because like yeah. I know as like a, you know, like a company director or someone working on a game, it's so hard. We're always talking about focus at our studio, you know, and like how we're spending our time. I, I can't even imagine how you two went about continuing to develop Dwarf Fortress whilst having another team trying to like run alongside you. Even just the the back and forth of telling people like, oh, that thing does this or here's that thing that you need or that communication, even if they're doing the bulk of the work. So you sort of went heads down on, on the villains release and then came back to that at some point. Yeah. And this gave yeah. Tanya some time to spin things up too, because it wasn't yeah, going to spin up instantly. And yeah. so, you know, she was, she was looking for all the right people. Uh, it didn't, didn't take too, too long to find them, but also like this amazing soundtrack we have uh, getting that, getting that kind of sorted out. We had, so we were listening to like some audio files and stuff of some initial music while still working on the villains release. So there's a yes. bit of, a bit of work going on, but not, we were not like, 
um, because I was, I, I don't, I didn't use version control until three months ago. So <laughs> I couldn't really spin up a version easily that would have the graphics in it. So we didn't, I wasn't working with artists or anything to like right, yeah. letting them, letting them see what was going on in the game and stuff. So it was not until like 2020, the beginning of 2020, where we get the villains release up. We also wind down the Cran and ASCII rewards at this point. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Literally spending, you know, days yeah, a month. Yeah. yeah. Tons of time. And then but but because it's us, we're like last call. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, so we had 500 more to do. <laughs> Just like incredible. <laughs> yeah, I just like exactly you just had a thousand yard stare. Yeah. At time. <laughs> it, was, it took a long time. It yeah. took a long time to get it. So once you yeah. did get it spin up, how many folks on like over at Kitfox were working yeah. on this thing with you? So throughout? originally originally had the two two artists. Mm -hmm. We had uh, Mike Mayday and uh Mef who did the masterwork, um mm -hmm. like big mod scene, both of them like big mod scene people. Yep. And, and then and they did such good work like uh like I was talking about the self starters and stuff like yeah. that. They they uh they helped us with the the ramps, like uh, the three dimensional ramps. Oh right. They, wow. When they uh the way they all fit together, like there's so many comic uh yeah, combinations and stuff. There's yeah, like combinations uh, of those. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like like uh, you know, if a corner looks different than a, than just a ramp going from east to west, and then like if a ramp's next to another ramp, it gets even more complicated. And I don't remember how many. There's like several sprites, several yeah, sprites. Yeah, to, if you do every combination, it's some kind of like three to the eighth type thing you don't want to think about. But then we they were able to narrow it down. So they're solving problems for you. They're solving yeah. problems. Yeah, no, they're really doing Love it. like, and also with the, with like the, cre like dwarves are built out of little pieces, kind of like our original Armok game, the, the one before right, the okay, one. Yep, yep. And so we kind of went with the same thing. And so from my end as a, as a, as it was so weird, this experience from my end as like the programmer here, I'm like, I've been doing these side projects my whole life with like pixel graphics and stuff. And suddenly all of these skills coming up again. And it's just like, okay, uh -huh. this is easy. Ready I can just do these That's things together. Awesome. No problem. And, uh, and it's like, it's like, yeah, the same, it was like the main thing that helped me make the dwarves was that space game where you're blowing pixels off of the thing. It's the exact same thing. Oh. And, uh, and, and then, so, but, but then Mike also like drew the pieces and glued them yeah, together and stuff. Yeah. And so that was the first, the first group of artists there. And then we were also at the music, uh, which was a whole, a whole other thing. We originally had uh, Dabu on there. Who's our kind of, um, a musician and sound designer person and there was a whole kind of kerfuffle there because there's a there's a mod called sound sense and there's like literally two albums of music made for sound sense for free right. by someone right. named simon, simon swerer yeah. and so from the beginning the community is like you got to get simon on the project you got to get simon on the project and little do they know, we're like negotiating with Simon to get on the project. We can't say anything for like yes, a year, right, for like course. a whole year or something. Yeah. And so we're like, yes, um, yes. We'll look into course. that. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great, you know, we, we know, great idea. But, you know, how, do, how do you like this new Dabu track? And it's cool because Dabu stuff was cool. So it was, yeah, it was like well received. It was well received. They're like, you know, it's good. But there's this other two albums out here that yeah, you guys yeah, really don't look at. Yeah. And then we were able to announce, you know. And then uh, and then of finally. course like the the first we you know, there's problems with the with the uh, with the art yeah. the, the first set of artists. So we had to 
we had three we now have three artists working on the uh yeah. three new artists three new artists the, yeah. yeah yeah and and then and two of them um experienced dwarf people again and and yeah. one one just someone who likes to draw animals and we're like okay well you can all yeah, use one of those yeah, yeah let's do yeah, it yeah. we got animals yeah yeah now they're, they're still and they're still working like right now they're drawing all the baby animals why not draw 300 baby animals so yeah, it, it makes sense before but now that it's so successful i think People yeah. like animals. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. If one one thing is true, that's that's tracked in games for sure. Animals, animal cell units. Um, something that we've discovered in you know, first of all, in just uh, on two of our games actually, right? So our Mellow was a paper prototype, first of all, because we but we knew that we wanted it to be digital. So there, was, we reached a point where we're like, okay, we need to take this now to digital. But we designed it to be digital first. We just prototyped it on paper. But one of the interesting challenges throughout development was that actual translation and communicating those things. And now we're running into that again in Solium Infernum, where something as simple as in Solium Infernum, you'll remember you submit your turns and it's a simultaneous turn system. So everyone, once everyone submitted their turns, the turn then transpires and you log back on and it's just because, you know, it's play by email or it was the original. And so you send your emails and the, you know, the game master crunches them and sends it back your save turns. You load up the game and the pieces are around the board and you're just seeing the results of what's happened. But in the new one, we're actually showing all of that happening. So you can see your legions marching across the board and the battles as they happen and all that sort of stuff. And just that one decision to actually visualize combat brings up all this raft of issues like sequencing and everything that Vic just completely could avoid like a certain percentage of them because he never, it was just like, like you say, like you don't, you don't see it. Was there some, were there major challenges that came about by actually trying to communicate things more aesthetically? Like one that immediately comes to mind is even just changing the design space of the game. Like I imagine you have a goat and a goblin you know, assets now, as opposed to them being the same thing, which changes even just a small area of how you experience the game. Was that something that you discovered going through this process of like this facelift, so to speak, of the game? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean the, the, the facelift though was more the, the UI and all that stuff. That, I mean, we had, to, we had drastically changed, like even the way the doors work, the, the way they the way they they uh, you know pick their own jobs without you deciding which yeah. ones they should work on like there's just like that the way that works the way all the input works is all completely new and different yeah. I, think, I think a point here that's important that we glossed over is the text the fact that the game displays in text um, the original and that doesn't work for some people that's mm. not actually the main problem the main problem is that the UI is trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got we got you know you got w, you got WASD on one side, and then you yeah. got UKLM on the other side, and it's completely interchangeable in all the different <laughs> menus. It doesn't matter, right? Okay, and, right. and, and so you have no UX consistency over the years or anything. It's just and you like, had to yeah. set the labor the labors that the dwarves would do. Like, does this dwarf fish? Do they mine or something? You had to press three buttons VPL to get inside of the menu, and then you're editing essentially a spreadsheet one column at a time. But there's no mouse support, so you have to go down with the plus key and then press enter on the different. Sometimes it's not stuff. the plus key. Sometimes it's greater <laughs> than less than. Yes. No consistency whatsoever. Love and it. there are a bunch of mods, like the whole modding community that developed around the game uh, was uh, kind of centralized around this utility called DF Hack. And we have mm -hmm. like a 
working relationship with them now <laughs> at this point. But uh, and there was a there was a utility called Dwarf Therapist, which essentially exposes the spreadsheet to the player. And I don't know, I don't know which, which yeah, yeah, I don't know which direction this goes, but uh, that's essentially what RimWorld's interface looks like when you yeah, look at right. your Which is fine when you only have a few, but when yeah. you have 200. When you have 200, that's <laughs> yeah. a 40,000, you know, elements of the spreadsheet or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and so we had to come up with a, with a different method. And we were kind of, you know, partially inspired by mods here of these labor automation mods, but also we came up with our whole own system of uh, uh, job auctions and work details and stuff that sort of replaces the old VPL yeah, it took system. Us, it took us three years, about yeah. four, you say four, four in a month, <laughs> yeah. three years when we were just working on the UI to get all this stuff right. I mean, it took a wow. while. Yeah, huge, huge kind of, and there's like none, like none of the fun stuff. Like, like uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been hard. Yeah. It's been hard. That part's yeah. hard. Yeah. But, the, uh, but at the same time, we had to learn how to be project managers. Never manage like Kit, Kit Fox will hire the people, deal with any kind of issues yeah. there, but they're not creatively directing the people. That's right. Just okay. Not right. So you are. Yeah. So you. Interesting. Just, okay, right. Yeah, so, so our lead, lead, music lead, all the lead type things, you know, yeah. uh, but they're bringing so many skills to the table that I don't, and we're not like a lead, 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 because yeah, we don't actually have the skill, but we do have to make the decisions, yeah, you know, about yeah, where you're things being, are going to go. major stakeholders, you're being consulted, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which and is, so we just time yeah. and it is a skill set in and of itself, which I mean, <laughs> only to each other have you had to do for what, 25 years or something. Yeah. Or yeah so, so we just had to learn this, you know, learn this not overnight because it took three years, but we, we, we uh, got, got better at it and yeah. just made sure that people were always unblocked while we're sitting here working on UI stuff mainly. Yeah, uh, but yeah. but if they need, or if they're like, "Hey, I've got a new palette here. We're going to try the dwarf clothes mm-hmm. and stuff," then I immediately have to switch gears. Make sure that goes in. Make sure yeah. they get a build out so they can keep working. And right, okay. um, so and, you two uh, are. Yeah. We're actually working actively on the Steam version as well, alongside the the ASCII free version too. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is this is all on the Discord. I mean, we 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 took some uh, shortcuts so that the the uh we didn't have to really work on the free version the new free version yeah at, at all maybe just a couple of weeks because the interface that you see on the premium graphical version uh you'll notice that the text is all still fixed with font yeah. and you have all the borders of the menus and all mm-hmm. the buttons like a button at the bottom of the screen, like the pick to, to yeah. when you're going to go mine, it's a four by three uh, uh, grid, actually, that lines up with the ASCII grid. And those are ASCII characters. So you can press a button and it will just completely be replaced by ASCII. Yeah. So you can just do it in real time, switch between the free and yeah. the non-free really graphics. Clever. So in a way, you're not actually maintaining two games. You've got one no. version that has two just different one. skins. Right. And like, yeah. There's only some drawbacks like uh, the uh, the dwarves skip going from one fit one cell to another instead of you know seamlessly right. moving. Okay. Yep. And yeah. so that's just some things that would, are, yeah. would be too much. Like, yeah, like sliding menus and stuff. Like you yeah. can't make them pixel slide. They'd have to like chunk 
chunk jump, slide. Jump, jump. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. It, I mean, it's workable. I think people have gotten used to it. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah, yeah. No, there, there are still yeah. occasional complaints about all of these things, but it's, it's amazing what you get used to. I remember when I was a kid, like I said, we only played on consoles and we had this old CRT, like in the, like in me and my brother's room. And it would, it would do this thing where it would just like vertically jump like bounce the whole, just constantly like it was some sort of tracking issue or something and kids would come over you know like as my our parents would be having a dinner party or something and we boot up golden eye or something you know Shadowgate on the <laughs> nes or something and this screen would start bouncing and they'd be like whoa what's wrong with your tv and my brother and i would just be like don't worry you'll be used to it in like 30 seconds and sure <laughs> we played game, game for years on this this tv that like tracked and like would jump an inch back and forth for the entire time you're playing um okay so absolutely incredible achievement this this steam release and i think obviously the shock waves were felt across the industry when it was was announced and then also i mean we spoke about <laughs> we spoke about you tracking your your month's revenue and you know sharing that with your team one of the i saw the game obviously hit top sellers on steam um, and then I think the next thing I saw about your success was on Twitter. Someone shared an image of your monthly earnings. And it was like <laughs> the month before was like 30,000. And then December was like $7 million or something. <laughs> like and the graph just went like, the, it, didn't, it didn't even like keep it in Twitter's preview. It just went off the screen. So what now, like, what does it mean for you now that you are on Steam. I mean, it's great to hear that you've just got this one version that you're drive, driving forward, but you've got this huge new influx of community. Um, this relationship, have you been set up with Kitfox in a way where um, you sort of can now, like, for example, we did with um, House Houses, like we got their game out, you know, push me, pull you at the time. And then they sort of undocked from us and went off and, you know, made Goose Game. Uh, obviously, incredible success, <laughs> you know, very proud of us, uh, you know, helping them in whatever small way we did to be able to achieve that. Um, but are you now in a, in a, um, in a period or in a state where Bay 12 can now move on and make this, or is this an ongoing collaboration with Kit Fox that you will have, you know, for as long as you can sort of see ahead or as long as the game is successful to a particular degree? Yeah, we have no interest in managing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, managing this stuff. Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. we need the artists. We're still working with the same three people. Uh, yep. They cool. they have um, they have things to do. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, we have brought on a programmer, and uh, for the first time, this is uh, Putnam from our community, one of our yes. kind of modders modders for over a decade. Probably we we actually met them at one of the meetups uh, that we had many years ago. And uh, they, the, as of January, the, we have a programmer on the project that has the source code of Dwarf Fortress, the first person ever <laughs> to have it, uh, aside from me. Um, and what like, a moment for them the, as well, modding it for 10 years and then finally getting let into the, jacked into the matrix. Huge. Yeah, because they get the, they, yeah, they, the, they like, the first, yeah. wasn't like one of the first things they did was like, like uh, they wanted to like continue to, to, uh, do do uh, favors for DF hack rather than even work. Yeah, yeah, we're happy, you know, for them, for them to go through and just, you know, let their modding instincts take over because they've, they've sped up the game, you know, by, you know, 30% or whatever oh, in one wow. case and just these little things. Cause I'm, I'm not a trained programmer and I'm also not a modern programmer. Like all this stuff about modern CPU architecture yeah. where you have to worry about like, like, 
prediction like the cpu can tries to see in the future and stuff yeah, like so that and relegate then, things to different courses yeah and stuff, you just yeah. have to do you have to structure your code a certain way just stuff that i didn't even know about and uh that so that 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 relationship is great and we're also not handling their paychecks or their <laughs> hiring or anything about them we don't know anything about that except that we uh we obviously paid able to pay tanya back uh yeah. their initial investment in terms of the structuring because you're interested in the contract and this is all public information the uh, uh they get 20 percent. That's, that's the deal awesome. yeah it's great and the deal was to continue working together for you know uh i think it says five years or something like that yep. uh and then reassess yeah yeah that's fantastic it's it's really great and just like <laughs> huge shout out to Tanya as well. What an incredible, incredible undertaking as well. And, you know, helping, helping you both just reach this milestone and, you know, in short, you know, helping you both change your lives as well, you know, like, you know, take the game this far and then to be able to just kick it into a whole new era is, is really amazing. Um, there is, there are, there are two more questions that I have for you today. The first one is you've spoken about the Steam release being 0.5 of the version number or something, right? And you've got this list. What are some of the big things, like Zach, Tan, that you that you have on your on your minds that you're happy to talk about? Like when you when you think about this idea of a fully realized simulated fantasy world, what's what's coming down the road, whether it be in 10 years or two years or something? What's what's still on the table like for you? Yeah, so the uh, the we, we're just gonna clean up for a little bit still. Here. Yeah, that's it. So people, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna make sure we don't make a big mess here. But then we're just <laughs> I'm jumping. The first thing we're gonna do is finish the villains release that we kind of postponed it. Like, adventure got, mode, yeah, yeah, adventure mode. Yeah, adventure mode's not even done. Like like we didn't even release right. the whole game yet. Yeah, so so adventure mode first, but that's also kind of the villains release yeah. and adventure mode are kind of the same yeah, thing. Kind it's of like the same thing. It's like yeah, uh, what we did, what, right? What we did for dwarf. Where we did for dwarf mode with the automatic, uh, the you know reworking the the job system and that kind of stuff, and the UI, we're going to do the same thing with adventure mode. We're going to make adventure mm. mode really work, and like as it is now, even in the free version, it's kind of like really free form and not you know you have the ability to do whatever you want, but there's it, there's no real game to it or yeah, it's not meaning, structured in a sense. There, yeah. There's no like, meaning yeah. to it. Yeah, and so uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna work on that, make adventure mode. You know, really, really good when it gets uh, when it gets and released. Finally. Then we'll finally oh, get yeah. to the the Myth Magic release that I talked about at GDC yeah. 2016. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still on the list, everyone. We're, it's, it's we haven't list. forgotten. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, now because this is the thing that Dwarf Fortress is most known for. I would love to hear from both of you over all of the years. What are, what is your favorite story that you have heard about your own game? Like, what's the whether it be the craziest or just you know feels like it's your game most fully realized in someone's experience or the funniest? What is what's the anecdote of the story of some player's little fortress that is really stuck with you over the years? Well, for me, it was Arch Crystals. I don't know about you. It's like the the min max, the ultimate min max. I've completely destroyed this game and completely won it. They they made an entire tower of glass that goes down into hell and has a zoo of demons that are all captured. <laughs> it's like this game is mine now. I've beaten this game. 
<laughs> Incredible. It's like the architect of the Matrix, like sitting in their room above their glass tower. Yeah, they, they pumped the lava up from the bottom and for no reason, just pumped the lava all the way up 200 levels into a giant green glass tank above like the trees. Just sitting there, this glowing thing, while there's also like demons in cages down in hell in the hell zoo or whatever. These are the demons wow. like the Balrog that are supposed to kill you or whatever. Like, no, you're going to the zoo. And that and also that that game ran for like 400 in-game years. It's like longer than the history of the world. This they were playing this game. Holy shit. Does this person work for the NSA now or something? Or they do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. Do whatever they want. And that's, that's they're a god now, basically. Yeah. And it kind of points back to what I would, I mean, the, the thing that shocked me when I, when I was doing it, so, so, I mean, I, I do have a soft spot in my heart for the, the cat tavern book. So just yes. go look up cat taverns on YouTube and you'll, yep. you'll find this like Dwarf Fortress cat bug or something like that. But the other thing that, I mean, this, this is just as more as a programmer and stuff. Cause I, I had no idea when we started this, that people were putting computers in games, right? That yep. you could build a computer inside a game. Maybe it's seen something like a little animation or something. Like a circuit board, like a yeah, virtual yeah. circuit board. And so of, yeah. now pe people were using like a hundred thousand mechanisms to make like these water or like vampire powered computers that would have like the entire game of space invaders that was playable with levers and had a score list. And a display wow. made out of drawbridges that would flip up and down and stuff. And it was just like, that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah that's excellent. That's all. People building computers in your games. Yeah. Okay. We've done it. Well, um, hey, uh, congrats as well on winning the Dice Award for what was the best strategy game? Yeah, yeah. That was that was so yeah. cool. Yeah, we were at the yeah. Elden Ring table too, so we got to see them <laughs> popping up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Elden Ring, yes, yes. Well, yeah, twenty three years in isn't bad. Um, but hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you both at uh, GDC. Thank you so much for hanging out. I know this is I've, this is the longest episode I've ever done. It's a big chunk of your day. I know Danny was just in town, pointing a camera in your face. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story with everyone here and congratulations on all your success with the Steam version. I'm really excited for the next 25 years of Dwarf Fortress. All right, there we go. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Have a great day, guys. Okay. Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.